Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the intermission. This week we're talking about our childhoods in the anticipation of next week's gigantic Harry Potter Molariathon that we're doing with MuggleNet.com. Go to friendsinyourhead.com slash Potter to find out more about that. People in the future, wasn't it great? And uh, we thought it'd be fun to talk a little bit about the uh, the movies that, since one of our panel here today has a, has a young a young one and hopefully more at some point in the way, and I don't know about me, but I have opinions about childhood movies, what kind of stuff you should be showing them? What are our favorite things from TV and from film to uh, to play for the young ones and, and try to grow them up all proper? Your friends in your head this week are myself, as always, Teague Christie and Chloe Z. Zimmerman. Hi-ho. And Eddie the Eddie Doty. I'm a dad. He's a dad. <laughs> did, did, when you were uh, when that's you, all you are now yeah that's I'm assuming singular ever since like you f- even before you found out you were pregnant like you've been figuring out like yeah. okay what am I going to be showing the kids when this is all happening after uh, after Rachel got pregnant did your mind go into like overdrive mode with okay we got to build a nursery we got to do this I got to figure out a bunch of movies that he's going to watch <laughs> I mean did, how early did you start the process of being like I must find programming near, near the I mean yeah I mean certainly it's like uh, okay uh, just enjoy your sleeping in now while you can but yeah there is a certain level of i call it cultural curation that you kind of do prior to and then you know what and then in especially in those early months and then it, it's ever changing for a while i was like no tv before two blah but then that quickly goes out the window when you realize a 20 minute episode of yo gabba gabba is the only thing keeping your son from not running headfirst into knives in the kitchen or you know while you can catch a little bit of merciful sleep um but still i always try to be very mindful of it and the big thing and sort of the you know the inspiration for this i think was where we found that we revisited a lot of the stuff from our childhood and we recognize, okay, this is pretty silly. Like when I watch the original Transformers on Netflix, I'm like, all right, uh, this is Korean sweatshop animation, and it's it's you know it's pretty bad. Um, uh, but then there's some stuff that shockingly doesn't just hold up for kids, but it's like, wow, I'm as an adult gaining value out of this. This is like this is uh, surprisingly nuanced or, or textured or layered, and 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 I'm I'm as engaged with this, and that's ideally that's sort of what you want um and yeah there's certainly been a bunch of uh movies and tv shows like that um get right into it the first thing i was saying uh, off the bat was uh fraggle rock i i always knew i loved it as a kid and bum, ba, dum, yeah i always had great memories of it but re-watching it now as an adult i'm i'm like wow i'm really glad he's seeing this because i i can see like some of my, I, I, I truly believe some of my, um, you know, the, the better parts of my character, I think I can sort of trace back to some of these shows that I watched and, um, the, the episode where, you know, in Frogger Rock where Mogi, um, tries to get the rest of the Fraggles to stop eating the Doozer's constructions because she feels bad for them. Like it's all oh, right. Cause their constructions are made out of like sugar or something. Yeah. Well, they? they're, they're like a treat. They're like sweet to them. And it's like, it starts off and she's singing this kind of long, she's like entering into her diary. She's very, introspective and kind of somber and it's certainly not candy coated and she does like this longing lullaby where she's just like she just loves watching the doozers do their thing and like there's one where a doozer like kind of gets stuck and she helps them down and so she thinks she's doing this great thing but over time you realize the doozers have this symbiotic relationship with the fraggles because they need them to destroy because their whole purpose is to build and if they keep building and they there's nothing to build they all had to move and they straight up say towards the end there's a a, a doozer a mother doozer with her baby doozer going and if we don't 
if we don't move, we'll, we'll die like straight up. And it's like, so then it becomes this big, deep thing. And it's like, Oh my God, like that's, and then in the very end of the episode, um, Mogi, like after she's kind of come around, she's entering into her diary again as a little kind of callback to the beginning. And she says, um, it's easy to pretend, uh, or you know, uh, it's easy to say you understand somebody, but it's a lot harder to actually know them. Yeah. And it's like, holy, like there's primetime TV now that's not this nuanced and layered. And thank God, like there's like some, some something like this for like my kid to watch. And and so there are things like that all over that I've just been really enjoying rediscovering with them. Chloe, is Fraggle Rock something that you would show to kids if you're a babysitter or something? Were you watching it when you were that young? Oh like, yeah. Oh God, yeah. No, um, I uh, I couldn't find. I was uh, watching Grayson at one point, and I couldn't find any good Fraggle Rock. I actually we tried to watch the Muppet Show, but it was like terrifying dancing gingerbread <laughs> men, and he was like, "No," and I was like, "All right, buddy." Muppet, Muppet Show is a big hit or miss. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Fraggle Rock is now entirely available on Hulu. Oh. Yeah. So that's that's how how I've been rewatching it. Lately. I should. I I'm I'm excited. I think I tried to get Teague to watch. Fraggle Rock. Well, I watched it a long time ago when I was a kid, and revisiting it, I just haven't really committed to revisiting it. Like, I mean, there's a whole bunch of shows that I haven't seen yet. Fraggle Rock wouldn't be at the front of the list, to be honest. But I know it's one of your favorites. Do you prefer the Fraggle Rock stuff or the Muppet Show stuff? I mean, Fraggle Rock. Really? I Muppet Show. Okay, wait. Okay, there's there's Fraggle Rock, there's the Muppet Show, and there's Sesame Street. Now, Sesame Street is obviously toddler stuff, but of the three shows, is Fraggle Rock still your favorite? Even compared to the Muppet Show. When I was a kid, yeah. It was, it was, you know, nar- it was more narrative. I've, I liked yeah. the, I liked kind of the, the immersive world and the, the idea that there were caves and hidden things. Sesame Street is like, you know, elsewhere. Right. Uh, Fraggle Rock has a much more like fantastical hidden world yes. to it, which is beautiful and wonderful for a kid. Like, you Fraggle know. Fraggle Rock is like Baby Lost and Muppet Show is like Baby Johnny Carson. Yeah, essentially. It's well, I actually got a, the the biggest comparison to uh, Muppet Show, and and I'll give credit to Max Landis for making this comparison. Max, um, f- the Muppet Show, the the only other show like the Muppet Show is WWE, because uh, honestly, <laughs> because the Muppet Show, the whole premise of the Muppet Show is that th- they're putting on a show, and then you see these backstage skits of chaos happening sort of around the show, and in many respects, that's what. WWE Monday Night Raw is where it's the show is people going wrestling but you cut backstage and people are jumping each other and there's love triangles and all this other shit. Um, it's a soap opera for dudes. Let's yeah, not. So it's a soap opera for dudes but like but in that respect in that expense I mean what it's is a Muppet pro, Show? It's a pro opera. Yeah totally but it, I mean Muppet Show is in a lot of ways a soap opera for kids because yeah. there's you know Piggy and all that other stuff. Uh, Sesame Street gets a lot of play in my house too but that's it's very much instructive. It's very much we're straight up teaching STEM and alphabet and you know yeah, all yeah. this other stuff. Uh, but just like you said, it's, it's, I mean, Fraggle Rock is absolutely a narrative and, and that's to say nothing of the little vignettes that they do in every episode of Fraggle Rock with Uncle Traveling, Traveling Matt. Matt, which yeah. by the way, 15 years of working in post-production <laughs> Then when I recently fired up, when I recently fired up, uh, oh, I just got the joke. Uh, yeah, I was, I was recently watching, <laughs> I was recently watching an episode with, uh, with Gray and it's like, oh, I got a letter from my uncle Traveling Matt. I'm like, <gasps> Oh my god how did i miss that how did i miss that for so long and i posted that on twitter and simultaneously mike uh Scott, chris hannell friends of mine from high school who are now in the industry they're like oh my god how did that just right over our heads? For, those, for the uninitiated a traveling mat is an old school special effects term for basically keeping a a cutout around the thing that you're overlaying like in, in you can actually if you watch like the old unrestored versions of star wars you see like them. around a tie fighter you'll yeah. sometimes see like this little polygon that's kind of moving around the outside of it that's a traveling mat 
that goes around the TIE fighter and it's basically we're, we've included just the TIE fighter well, it's, we've cut it's everything a else super out. in joke like when you were watching yeah. that as a kid you wouldn't be like ha ha effects <laughs> joke and maybe 5% of the adults watching them with their kids if at best would potentially get that but yeah it's a super in inside baseball joke but those little segments are great too because that the whole premise of those is Uncle traveling, Matt um, traveling through the through an outer space, which is just the regular real world, and he's going like on roller coaster rides to theme parks, and it's him like interacting with humans and stuff, and he's describing them from this point of view. And only now, as an adult, do I realize that's what the world kind of looks like to kids. Like mm-hmm. that's what it's it, in many ways from a child's perspective. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. No, Fraggle Rock did a really good job of that kind of innocence and character, just like that perspective, mm-hmm. which I. I liked that in Sesame Street as well, but um, I think Fraggle Rock did it better because it was so, they didn't have, they had to learn just by doing and no one would tell them anything. Whereas like there were adults on Sesame Street that would teach you how to tie your shoes and other crap. Um, But you know, Fraggle Rock was very much like we're in this cave and there's outside world of grownups. Mm-hmm. And An oracle made of trash. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, the trash a, a, a psychic trash heap. Like, that's, yeah. I, mean, I never quite got what the analogy of the, I'm, I'm blanking on what the big things were called. Oh, the, uh, yeah. The, but, but yeah, the, the prince, the king and the queen. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was just the three of them. Yeah. Yeah. Just hanging out in their own magical cave, I guess. Yeah. Well, it wasn't even the cave. It was like, they yeah. were. No, kinda, they were outside, but like. I don't know. I guess they were like bog creatures or something. Yeah, but something. they were somewhere near the workshop. Like, kind of on the other side of where those caves led to. <laughs> just, yeah, it was really just weird. Like I never really looked around a lot. <laughs> no, very... yeah, the world around. Where them. does Muppet Babies fit into this? I because think that... Muppet Babies, as far as I'm concerned, is a forgotten thing. That the thing to remember about it really. I when didn't we all get that. When we all get when we all move on and, and have to do other things in our lives, the thing to remember about Muppet Babies is that the theme song was outstanding. Yeah. But like that's all I really remember about it. But the, it was like little baby Muppets, and they would like go on adventures. Like they'd all get shrunk and go into one of their. Well, it was imagined. Well, it was all like imagined. Imagined like the nanny would walk in, and they'd be like in a well, pile it's like, of pillows. Well, it's like it's like well, Sesame Street and Fraggles are for kids between the ages of like two and seven, I guess, for that. And Muppet Show wasn't. And I guess Muppet Babies was their like attempt at getting Muppet Show characters into a nursery setting, well, so we can kind of prime them for Rolf and those guys. From a narrative standpoint, it was a spinoff of a sequence in Muppet Takes Muppet Take Manhattan, yeah. because they, yeah. there was a whole sequence where. Uh, I think Piggy says like you know can you imagine what it would have been like had we all known each other when we were kids or when we were babies and there's like a little fl- a faux flashback yeah, and, and that's and why you have babies. like Rolf and Skeeter and yeah and all them but that's oh we should do friends in your head babies <laughs> friends in your head babies no like, yeah no I was I was a mess uh, but <laughs> Trey would be 20 <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Trey would be nanny he he'd would be, walk in you'd just hear shoes he'd be the disinterested babysitter yeah, like just, just watching like, TV kind of like now you just uh, see sandals in the shadow of Dora just entering and smoke comes in the room like he's big pen and he says stop that and he leaves again <laughs> but I, there's not much i mean there's not much magic i would say in terms of um in, in terms of muppet babies like it was just a show it was just a syndicated show whereas you know and and again it's not even you know sesame street was um sesame street was not again it's primarily educational it, it's less on the world building stuff there are some things uh, i recently did rewatch on um, YouTube the episode where and I give Sesame Street all the props in the world this but when I was growing up uh, I vividly remembered uh, Mr. Hooper uh, who owned Hooper's store and then straight up that actor died and they th- and they, they debated a lot should of ways should we kill him off should we, should we or re- he just left he moved should we recast should he move and they came to a conscious decision no we're going to address this and there's a it's online now but they 
it, they aired it on Thanksgiving Day. I watched it first run Thanksgiving Day. I was five years old, and uh, it, and and that was the first time, <laughs> back to back, Mister Hooper's death and Roy Schneider from uh, Robotech are the first times I experienced fictional character death, uh, in like addressed to me as a kid. And um, and I'll get to Robotech in a second because I think that's also outstanding. But um, they uh, they straight up um, you know Big Bird comes out and he says like hey I made drawings for everybody and hey I, here's a drawing for Mister Hooper I'm gonna go show it to him now and it's like no Big Bird we we told you you know Mister Hooper he he died and they have to basically walk him through s- it. walk him through it and and Big Bird is basically the avatar of all the kids and like meanwhile the entire cast is legit losing it like they're just Bob who is still on the show to this day is straight up just through tears. Same with Maria, like Gordon, everybody, yeah, Maria and Gordon are also still on the show to this day are, are just straight up losing it mid scene. And, um, you know, it ends with, it's like, you know, why did this happen? It's like, because it did, you know, that's just, that's all there is to it. And uh, I always forgot until I went back to look at it that Big Bird, I, I always remembered Big Bird as a character visually. I never really remembered his character at all. Right. And I forgot completely that he's like, a, he's like a six year old. He's like a six year old. And Elmo's thing is that he's the three year old. Yeah. And he's, you know? yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, Elmo. Oh, oh, Elmo. No one ever can forget that you're three. Yes. You yeah. are, you are three. <laughs> oh, there's you. a whole, and there's a whole episode of Elmo where he has to say goodbye to his pacifier. And he sings like a little ballad song, like saying goodbye to it. And you know, there's so, and you know, the uh, when Katrina happened, they did an episode where uh, Sesame Street floods. And wow, yeah, I mean, they to this, I mean, they, I, I give Sesame Street all the credit in the world. Like from episode to episode, it's kind of clip showy. Um, but they're when they hit it, they hit it out of the park in terms of, you know, this is not just good for my kid to watch as a pacification, but it's like it's, it, it, it not just educational from um from a facts and figures and a number standpoint, but this is actually kind of character building. Yeah. yeah they're so. trying to the model empathy. And, yeah. And, yeah. Well, when you combine Muppets and poignancy and death, it's always really shaking. It's always yeah. very stirring. Like the, <laughs> I, what came to mind for me is just when, when, when Henson died. Oh and yeah. I'm sure you guys have seen this, but if you, if, if the listeners haven't seen this, go to YouTube and it's going to bum you out, but you're going to cry. So pick, pick your moment. It's a healthy cry, but uh, it's a healthy cry. But, uh, YouTube, uh, Jim Henson funeral, Frank Oz mm-hmm. and Oz comes up with one of the characters, Fozzie maybe, or one of, one of, one of Oz's characters mm-hmm. and starts singing a song that I think he and Henson had written, but I might have that mistaken, but he comes up and sings a song with the, with the character as the character. Mm-hmm. And as he's singing it at his funeral and you know, there's 8,000 people is one of those, you know, big saddleback style churches where there's like 8,000 mm-hmm. seats in the round. And it's just Frank Oz on the stage. And then he gets joined by more and more people and more and more characters. And they're singing this song at his funeral in this big choir of Muppets. And it's the same thing. Like Chloe gives me shit about this because I love Disneyland hardcore, but the thing that gets me about Disneyland is when you watch the end of Fantasmic, the last thing that happens, and it's just a big show. It's a big water and, and projection show that you see with some fireworks in it. But the last thing that happens is the big paddle boat ship, the Mark Twain, Mark I think, Twain, yeah. comes around the moat and it's got you know several layers of balconies on it. It's that yes. kind of ship. It looks like a little like floating motel. And on every single, in front of every door, there's like a different Disney character and they're all dancing in in time. And the thing that gets me is that at the top of it, behind the big steering wheel (laughs) is a black and white Steamboat Willie Mickey Mouse character yes. as opposed to the Mickey Mouse that you see in all like the postcards and stuff the, co- the full color one classic Mickey. it's a black and white guy in a, a black and white costume and he's steering the ship like you know symbolically basically mm-hmm. is what's happening there and I have the same thing when I go back to that scene uh, at, at Henson's funeral with us where, where you're looking at it's this little subtle 
it makes you it, it indicates to you that you should be thinking about it without being anywhere near didactic about it where it's like oh my god this started as one guy's idea and look what happened and all the creativity and the magic that came from this i see that steamboat willie and i just bust into tears like an idiot and it's the same <laughs> thing with the funeral at jim henson's funeral where it's like you see this a whole chorus of muppets singing and it doesn't seem condescending it doesn't seem like we're, we're minimalizing what Jim did. It seems like we're celebrating it in a way that could only be done. You could only communicate this particular emotion because of what he created. Yes. And it's like, good God, Muppets and death, man. It's when it, when it works, it works. Unfortunately, someone has to die to make it happen. Right. But, you know, but, you know it's, it's a price you pay. Uh, Big Bird but, also but do, did But do thing. YouTube that. That's yeah. Jim Henson's funeral. I think it starts with Frank Oz. Big Bird also does a, a, um, a full on. And since it's it's a Big Bird's just a one man costume or one woman costume, I should say. Um, uh, she does a whole thing. Uh, a yeah, whole, she's standing with her arm straight yeah, up in the beak and the beak. And then the other arm is kind of numb. But uh, yeah, I mean, those are, those are the big ones. Um, but it's been interesting kind of revisiting things and, and sort of um, kind of collating them into sort of like okay maybe at this age and then maybe at this age and and also based on how kids grow up you kind of you're always in a state of pivoting and adjusting and you know seeing sort of what they'll be into and sort of being surprised by that too i could talk about muppets all day but we should move on yeah but to to post muppets was there anything else chloe that you had like that you think like i always like from the muppet verse i don't know from as far as like sesame street that was the only thing my mom was very anti-tv when i was growing up like most moms are i'm assuming um but Sesame Street was the one thing where she was like, you can watch that. Yeah. I don't care if it's on six hours a day. That's fine. Yeah. Like that was the one thing she was like, okay, cool. Um, but I always liked kind of the child sized version of everything. It felt like there was something like there was the pigs in space for yeah. all of my parents who watched Trek and like something that I could relate to and like the, you know, the Muppet news. And I don't know. I always liked that kind of like, this is for me. This is, this is the, this is the me size. It's the scaled down version where I can like start to relate and understand it. And you know, that's obvious, but it's, it felt good. I remember that feeling as a kid. In terms of the greater revisiting things that you loved as childhood in childhood and and discovering whether or not you were right or wrong to have held those opinions. Right. When (laughs) when you, when you, when your brain grows up, uh, like, you know, semi-famously and if you haven't listened to this episode it's a great one our commentary for explorers we we really dissect that movie because explorers is one of those movies that when you pop it in to revisit it after 20 years and i don't know if you've seen it it's about little kids who go to space it's great you you know when you're five it's outstanding but when you pop it in it's like right off the bat a really excellent movie yeah and you press play and you're just watching it it's like this is really great stirring sci-fi for kids but it's like totally approachable and it's a great story and the characters are fleshed out and people aren't doing stupid shit Mm -hmm. and then after like 60 minutes of watching it it hits the third act hits a wall never recovers and it's the biggest bummer of all time (laughs) uh but there are movies that are entirely a train wreck and there are movies that are actually like oh my god that one that's a real movie like that shouldn't get thrown in the pile with howard the duck and stuff that you, you watch when you're a baby but it doesn't age well at all that's a real good movie and i was really surprised when i revisited the sandlot recently oh yeah the sandlot is it's 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 it was crazy how much it's actually not a movie for kids it's a movie about kids but it's narrated by an adult yes. who's very it's super nostalgic and whimsical and it's about you know this ragtag group of kids in the 50s in the valley but i was like astounded at how consistent and how good of yeah. a movie the sandlot is yeah so 
that one would go high on my list for that and, kind of and, that, and that's a favorite my wife Rachel that's one of her favorites of all time as well and and for many of those same reasons also an awesome soundtrack yeah great sound I would also throw in the more recent Where the Wild Things Are I think that's a wildly dividing movie I liked that movie I, 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 I loved it I loved it but I can see where people don't like it I think The Stranger got a write up about how it was just like this big whiny hipster bullshit thing but I, like I think that's unfair to the movie I think it's unf- yeah. I think I'm, I'm also probably mischaracterizing that please direct your letters to the arcade fire <laughs> and you know i, I know, that's a whole other thing <laughs> no yeah it's uh, yeah but it's uh it, it's one of those things where i that's a movie about the experience of being a child it's not necessarily for children but with that said uh, every every guy i know who's every parent i know who's like intellect i respect and has a child at the age where they could probably get away with seeing that has had the exact same experience where they take their kid to see it the kid is into it but you know, it, it it causes a lot of discussion and it causes like it brings up feelings and and, you know, because a lot a large part of that movie and, and the book to extent is about a kid dealing with all these conflicting feelings, you know, and it's sort of taking shape as the all these different monsters. It's essentially Winnie the Pooh because Winnie the Pooh, all those characters are just they're all the different parts of Christopher Robin's psyche just split down, you know, Eeyore and rabbit and owl and all that other stuff. And when I explained that to when, like when my wife never made that connection, but I'm like, well, yeah, they're all just different parts of Christopher Robin. Like it's, it's, it's almost like toy story. It's like they come alive when he's nearby or this is the stories he's imagining them doing or Calvin and Hobbes or or Calvin and Hobbes. Exactly. And it's like once it almost like that almost was like, that almost like took the shine off of it a bit for it. Oh, I know. I kind of crushed some dreams there, but Eddie stripping the magic yeah. Doty. Yeah. Sorry, where the wild things are is you're a guy in a suit with a CG face. Totally oh, yeah. off There's, topic. Yeah, but. no, but that's a fine. I don't think I've ever told that story on the on the show before. But I, the best your mom joke I ever got off was on a on a it was on the Dave School forum a few years after I graduated. I was back in there and talking to current students or something like that, and uh, someone it was like. Uh, it was contemporary with where the wild things are. And someone was asking how they did the creatures in that movie. Sure. And guy one responds, it's a guy in a suit with a CG face. And I responded, your mom's a guy in a suit with a CG face. <laughs> and he got really pissed. Like <laughs> it's a solid I don't burn. Think, I don't think he had it's ever heard burn. of your mom joke before because he didn't react like he had. <laughs> no, he was he's... like, you don't know my mom. You don't even know me. You can't say that kind of shit. About... You just casting aspersions blindly. Not. Dorothy yeah. Mantooth is a saint. She's a saint. Yeah. I'm just deeply proud. For, for the rest of my life, I'm proud of your mom's a guy in a suit with a CG face. <laughs> such a perfect your mom joke. Yeah. No, that's that. That's definitely a Sorry. movie. That that one. That one's kind of like in the hip pocket for Grayson when he's like eight or nine, I think. Right on. Uh, and I haven't read the book of that to him. Right around yet. the time when all of his friends' parents are getting divorced and he has no idea what that. Pretty hell. much. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. yeah, seriously. I mean, that, well, because that's people always say like, oh, adolescence and pre-adolescence is the time where a kid's change and where all these feels come in and it just you know my body's in yes absolutely to a degree i think i think seven to nine is kind of an equally important pivot point uh for mm-hmm. kids because there there's this they become just enough of aware of how big the world is and just slightly aware of like their complete inability to influence or shape it and it can lead to a lot of frustration, I think. Yeah, no, I remember being seven or nine. That was when a lot of things happened in my life. Like, I think that's when my parents got divorced. But I think that's a lot of, like, when I started realizing I am a child and I have absolutely no power over any situations right. at all. Right. And I think that was one of the more, like, that's the first time I was like, oh, this this genuinely sucks. Right. And I think I think at that time, the media they consume can be 
I, I, I truly believe that's where it's at almost at its most important because that's where it's like, that's where they're going to get their comfort from. That's where they're going to get not just comfort from like pacification, but just like trying to relate, I think to stories where they're actively trying to engage stories and relate and say like, I'm this guy. I'm like that guy. Along those lines. I surrogacy. I remember as a kid being like people talking about movies that they had seen and not liked. And as a five-year-old, I've never seen moving colors and pictures that I did not genuinely enjoy. Right. But I think around like seven or nine, I remember watching, I don't know what the hell it was, but I remember like watching a movie and being like, that didn't, I didn't like that. Right. What? Right. Right. Well, there were like, there were bright lights and colors and noises and it wasn't like entertaining for me. Yeah, I, what? Well, that was and you know I, I and told that the, movie was The Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> I, I told the story uh, during the commentary for it for the Karate Kid, but that Karate Kid was that movie that hit me at exactly I was seven years old or six years old that hit me at the exact time because I was already like starting to move around a lot and I was aware that I was moving around a lot and I knew I hated it. And so Karate Kid's a good like programming event movie for a kid. Like yeah. if, if you're, if you're getting divorced or if you're moving around a lot, that might be a movie to throw at your kid. Like in terms of like trying to pick media for things that are going to happen maybe, or maybe not, but like that would be a really strong contender for like, I don't know how he's reacting to this. Right. I don't know what his brain is doing behind his words sort of thing. Right. But Karate Kid would be a good movie to introduce at that moment. Because that's also a movie where it's like nobody comes in to save that kid. Like ultimately that kid succeed because of him. He has help. He has a great relationship with Mr. Miyagi. He has a great, you know, uh, he has a good support system. But ultimately it's him on the mat doing his thing. You know, and that's, and that's, it's ultimately him who's got to dig himself out and find, and be okay with himself. Yeah. The only like power of montage. The only parental correction you have to make to their opinions about that movie are are just everything about this is great. And if you can be like him, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, What I would say is please do avoid friendly janitors. But otherwise, this yeah. movie is a good blueprint. Overtly friendly janitors who offer to take you to their home. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of that. No, the, that. Ki- the groundskeeper is very rarely the 13-year-old's friend. That's not. Right. Right. That's okay. The uh, the, um, the other thing that's it's kind of been popping out at me is uh, um, my, my wife recently and I recently saw Catching Fire, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was actually, I thought the first Hunger Games was fine, nothing spectacular, but this new one I thought was really good, and that was the first time where my, where my wife was like, okay, um, where she's just fascinated with the character and she's interested in reading the books. And it's like, if we, we eventually want to have a daughter like sooner than later, but that's one of those that's in the queue. If you have a daughter for like, okay, she's, you know, she's self-actualizing. She's, you know, and, and and the movies may be the better access point to that. I'm not exactly sure, but, um, off the same point, there was a, a, a couple of years ago, I showed my wife the movie girl fight with Michelle Rodriguez. Uh, the female boxing movie, and of course Michelle Rodriguez is in a movie called Girl Fight. That movie is great, and like I've never heard of it. After we watched it, um, my wife was like, "If we have a daughter, I want her to see that at like twelve. You know, like that's like that's the movie where it's like, because she again, she's it's basically a female in a lot of ways. It's a female karate kid, but it's with with boxing. But it's she. It's not about finding a boy. There is romance in it, but it's more about finding someone who understands her and it sort of leads to this big, slightly unrealistic, you know, conclusion. But it's, it's one of those things that's very self-actualizing, even though the rest of that movie, I think that movie maybe are, I'm not exactly sure, but that's one of those movies you skip kind of, you kind of ignore the MPA and you're like, no, there's with some parental guidance, you know, you can sort of navigate those waters. Mm -hmm. So, and then at age 13, you'll show her 13. I'm, I'm curious. So like for, you know, for, um, 
since you guys don't have kids like that, is there anything where for like a long time, has there been anything where it's like, Oh, well this is just a given, you know, Star Wars. I think Star Wars is the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Uh, uh, several Disney movies that are very important to me. Uh, and then like, not a lot. Most of the, like I, I have a pretty solid docket for age 10 and up. Right. That's where I'm going to start playing with some of the early Spielberg stuff, depending on the movie. Like I probably wouldn't do Raiders at age 10, but you know, that right. kind of thing. Um, I think I'm going to do Jurassic Park at age seven, though, because fuck kids, right? Uh, <laughs> no, but that's. I, I just I, don't want to sleep anymore. I'd <laughs> like you to be afraid of dinosaurs. Dude, that I movie scared the good. shit out of me, and I wasn't even that young when I saw Dude, it. Dude, I saw, I saw Poltergeist at age six. I saw Poltergeast before Dude. I saw it. I, I saw it. I remember I was kind of movie sheltered, so I saw Gremlins at nine, and it kept me up for like a week. Yeah. So I would be pretty careful about the sensitivity of my child. I saw Gremlins at six as well. Uh, the, six was just a big year for me, I guess. I don't know why. Like there was A lot of that shit was coming out. Yeah. Screw it. We're showing him secretary now. <laughs> Never too young for gender <laughs> politics. Never yeah. too young for feminism. Um, but no, but Never I, too young for Spader. <laughs> but 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 again, you know, like the other big series that I revisited recently, going back to it, uh, Robotech. I think surprisingly, I've never even heard of that. Oh, what dude, is that Robotech is well. Ask our uh, four member Invid fan. His character is named after a Robotech uh, species. Oh, um, that his icon is an Invid invader. But uh, Robotech was interesting. It was an American company that took three completely unrelated animes from Japan. Uh, Macross uh, and Most Piata, and there was one, the middle one, I forget the original name of, and basically crafted a multi generational, several hundred episode long cartoon series with American dubbings, and that just basically recreated the it's narrative. Cartoon in Power Rangers, pretty well, yes, but it, yes. Well, that's how the original Power Rangers was made. Pretty, yeah, it's. It, it, well, I mean, they filmed interstitial scenes with <clears throat> with the white kids. Yes, but but in every new season, Ninja Force or Turbo, whatever's is just a different show. I yeah, but the model they that they copied that off of was Robotech, um, and it was. But it, for me, is it was basically uh, alien invasion or uh, uh, alien ship crashes. We develop technology around it. The aliens come back to reclaim that technology. Space war, awesome. And they pulled this off. Yeah, and you know the the jets were called uh, um, oh god, uh, but they 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 transformed into robots and they had like a third mode and you know it was just it was it was cool. But underneath all that cool space laser shit was uh, a very interesting love triangle between the lead character and then like a woman who was in the mili- a military officer and then like a pop singer and he didn't know he saw great qualities in both but he didn't know who he wanted to be with. His best friend uh, was in an interracial marriage, like married to a black woman, which in 1983 showing to kids was not something that was like terribly common, like to to, to make a thing of. And and that guy dies and then like and you're like oh well he's gonna come back next week and next week is a clip show. It's like well he's dead. These are his greatest moments and it's like he's really dead you know that's and and like in the end but and the villains were they were sympathetic and like you realize okay every time something cool blows up you're killing a zentradi like you're you're they're actually dying and uh, by the third season when they get into the uh it's called the invid invasion saga there was uh, one of the main characters who was straight up at least transvestite you know, I mean, like just straight up, like he was the idea. He was a freedom fighter at night, and then he cross dressed as a woman singer during the day. Like some really interesting stuff to be introducing to kids under the the so the guise of sci fi. But like when I think of like guys my age who are less inclined to have a problem with this sort of thing than maybe the generation before us, I look at shows like this. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I was kind of okay with this back then too. 
because if this if if this dude can be lancing um if lancer can be like slicing aliens up and he just happens to be a cross-dresser and it's no big deal then maybe that had something to do with me not having to not caring about it now yeah you know and I'm thinking, like, it wasn't actually something that we thought about in advance of this, but sort of the spiritual companion to this episode, unofficial spiritual companion to this episode, is uh, your boy Drew's uh, Film Nerd 2.0 series. Oh, I love that so hard. Drew McQueenie yeah. over at HitFix yeah. has done a, a series of, of articles, coming up on 20 now, I think, where he and his boys will watch a movie for the first time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's being very structured in what they see when they see it and all that. And he's very interested in how they react to some, some of these like staples of pop culture, Wizard of Oz and Star Wars and Indiana Jones and stuff like that. And um, they're great articles and go check them out. But it just hadn't occurred to me that that's a similar thing. Is that something that you're, I'm assuming you'll do that whether or not you write it down with Grace and regardless. Right. Uh, Is there anything you're really worried like Gray's opinion of like where it's like, oh God, he hates Star Wars unclean boy it's less about that as it is i i guess the, the the biggest thing that would bother me is if he just watches it and just doesn't engage in any way with it like regardless of what it is like if he just watches and he's just like nah, like that's my biggest fear if he just doesn't give thought to what he's consuming that would really concern me as a parent because like my whole thing is and and i've 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 talked to drew several times about this like about how how I'm like I was passionately into that series before I was a parent and you know and even more so now and I've told him like how important it's been to me to like have that as sort of like a beacon to kind of guide my adventures by um and uh but my main motivation for this is to you know, our kids you know your hypothetical children and my kid now and whatever kids I'm gonna have um they're going to be facing a landscape we never did in terms of media saturation. And to me, I have to prepare him just like I have to prepare him intellectually on what foods to consume. Just like I have to prepare him. I, my job is to make him is to basically reinforce him in as many ways as possible, prepare him for life without me straight up. And cause one day I'm not going to be here and he has to be okay on his own. And so for me, it's like, I have to start because the media saturation is going to be so ubiquitous by the time he's an adult. Uh, I have to prepare him. I have to get him ready to engage it and to get out of it what he can while also not forgetting who he is and not letting the stuff shape him um, unconsciously. And that's my main concern. So for me, it's less about what is how do you approach a problem like that, though? Just just like anything else you train. And to me, like the way you train for it is you show him something and then discuss it. You know, I've talked to about uh, ad nauseum about, you know, my dad and our thing. And like, um, the thing was, I, I didn't always, it wasn't even just the movies I look forward to is the discussion afterwards. So watch it, talk about it, get him thinking about it, get him, you know, observing it during the movie. I may say one or two things like pay attention to this, like think about this part for later, you know, just things like that. But, um, but he and I aren't at that phase yet. Grayson's, he's going to be three in a couple weeks. Like that's, so we're, you know, we're still a bit away from that. I'm mainly just trying to get him to, um, learn to tell me when he has to poop beyond that. Then we're going to start getting a little more intellectual, and a little more heady right now. I just like anything that has like songs and stuff is good, but later on it's going to be about, okay, well, what did you think about this guy? What did you think about that guy? Why do you think he was doing that? You know, in one of Drew's articles, he was watching, um, I forget what movie it was, but his, his four or five year old Alan was like, uh, Oh daddy, I don't think he's making good decisions. Like <laughs> that's the kind of, 
that's the kind of reaction I'd be looking for. He showed both of his guys um, where the wild things are. And if you've read that article, that was an unexpectedly like that was an a bomb of emotion, like for all three of them. You mm-hmm. know? And I would highly recommend reading that article because it hit in some really unexpected ways. I guess that's what I'm looking forward to is how unexpected he, I, I'm looking for him to surprise me. I'm looking for him to take away things. Um, the first time my dad and I saw rear window, it was fairly early in like my film education, but my dad, I don't even remember making the comment, but it always stuck with my dad. But when he and I were talking about it afterwards, I said like, I said, I, I, I think I, I said, yeah, it's kind of metatextual because we're watching a voyeur being a voyeur and what is movies, if not being a voyeur into fictional characters lives. And he had never considered that. He had never considered that metatextual layer. So for him, that became rewarding just to see what I would sort of spit out from my perspective, Adam. He made a little film analyzing monkey. Pretty much. And like, yeah, yeah, pretty much. But like that was the discussion. So, you know, right now I'm mainly just trying to subconsciously impart some good morals. Mm-hmm. And then as we go on, um, I want to hear what he has to say. You know, huh. that what I we're was... just talking about was film nerd 2.0, which is on Drew McWeeny's. Hitfix blog, yeah. motion captured. So if you just type in Film Nerd 2.0, Drew, you'll find those. Yeah, and actually, I think they've even got a little subsection on the page now for them. Yeah. So you can find all those. They I go was, back for quite a while. I was just thinking, because uh, you mentioned Robotech, and I was like a big anime nerd in high school. I was thinking, what would I, like, what of that would I show a kid I had? And I was like, Bebop? Mm, uh, eventually. <laughs> but like, it was more like, where can I go, is uh, Miyazaki. And I was thinking, oh, well. Oh, Totally. Well, not Grave of the Fireflies, but, you know, the rest of it. And I was like, well, okay. When their school starts doing, you know, the Jangoistic World War II, they bombed us. Yeah. That would be a really, like, especially through the lens of, like, this animation style they know would be a really good perspective to have on this is what happens to another country when you go to war with them. Like, this is them. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, that's, you know, probably not when they're six. But it's, again, good event like, planning programming. Yeah, because it was, it was just funny. My, my own process about it was like, oh, hell yeah, all of Miyazaki, Totoro. Not Grave of the Fireflies. Maybe Grave of the Fireflies. Like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I would err on the side of pushing a little bit beyond what you think their boundary is. Because, yeah. you know, I think kids are resilient. Uh, oh, yeah. And they, you know. We all watch Land Before Time. But like I don't, yeah. That's you have not seen a Saturday Secret of Nim. Since. Secret of Nim oh, was exceptionally that dark. The crap out of the me. The air conditioner scene in Brave Little Toaster. Yeah. Oh, Brave Little Toaster. Yeah, I saw. When Phil Hartman goes crazy and explodes. There was a, a there was a there was a cartoon uh, series called The Littles. Um, that was it was uh, the little it, bits. No, the littles. It was like it was basically uh, the little bits was the candy tie-in. You know, no, the 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 littles. They were it was basically Secret World of Arietti, but as a as it was that. I think of, that I think thing. we're thinking of the same thing. Maybe, uh, but yeah, it was basically tiny people in a house. Yeah, and it, like their little sub community and everything. And I remember being like, not always enjoying watching it because it was kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember as a kid that being like. I felt like I was weird as a kid. I felt like I, I felt like I should watch it. It was really strange. Like mm-hmm. it was really strange. Like I felt, I felt like I should watch it. And I, I remember it was always like that show kind of challenged me just from, I don't it's, know it's why. The like, equi- it's the kid equivalent of dollhouse. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was just sort of like, I should watch this for reasons I can't explain anything that just sort of casted regular humans doing regular human stuff as a potentially destructive negative thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was felt medicinal. David the Gnome. Yes. Totally. Yeah, and the hollers. And yeah. Swift, the the fox. I was thinking, like, in terms of the sort of semi-maudlin uh, 
semi-morbid event planning for kids where it's like if this happens have a movie and you know chambered so it's like teaching them about this or about that and we talked about how like karate kid could be handy after like a really sort of destructive move or a divorce or something like that but i was thinking about what about death and then my next thought was well all the disney movies do that and then my next thought was all the lead characters in disney movies are orphans which Mm -hmm. is weird and then my next thought was trying to figure out why that is and i think it's only because for any for any reasonable audience member but um, you know it's for kids but still for anyone to go along with the idea that it's a pre-killed cat it's well there's there's that there is that but it's also over and above that it's sort of a license for a kid to articulate big patches of his own life as opposed to the parents are taking him here and taking him there and they have no control so they can't actually be a a participant in their own storyline and they're, they're a meaningless protagonist you have to basically get them to the point where at least they have to do some shit for themselves if not all of it and figure it out on their own which is more harrowing but it's also the only way you can get a kid who is our audience our audience surrogate is a kid character a young character to do things yeah and motivate a story in a way that usually only an adult could because you need a car and shit you need <laughs> it's, it's you hard need, to self-actualize kids yeah exactly yeah. so yeah. you have to you have to kill off their parents ha ha after hours never got there come at me dan no i'm kidding um <laughs> oh please don't He's very weak. (laughs) We'll have a beatbox fight. Um, But no, it was just a thought that I had never had, which is that that's the best way to basically isolate a character that a kid will identify with and give them the license to be a motivated protagonist. Well, you get that in a lot of children's literature, especially like, oh, I don't know, Harry Potter. But also, uh, I remember reading The K when I was like uh, in fifth grade, which is about a shipwrecked kid and he temporarily loses his eyesight. And the only other person he has there with him is an elderly black man who... um, he has some something wrong with him as well. So these two people kind of have to lean on each other. Mm-hmm. That was also a racial class statement for its time. But I remember reading that going like, because, you know, spoiler alert, the old black man eventually dies. And then he has to like, this blind kid has to basically navigate the, surviving on this island until he's rescued. Um, and I think that's just, it's just easy to like do a coming of age story when there's, you know, you're forced to come of age. Right. Stand by me, I think is the gold standard of oh, yeah. that. And even though there's some challenging stuff in there, stand by me. I think that's a six or seven year old type of movie mm-hmm. to just throw at him. Yeah. Another one you for know? a little bit older than that. Did you guys ever see holes? Yeah. Yeah. I wish I, yeah. I thought holes was a really good book. It's pretty solid. Uh, and I love Lewis Sacker and I love yeah. wayside and all that stuff. But I thought it was, I was, we were doing this, the, the interviews for the muggle net people yeah. that we're going to play during the, 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 the malaria stream. And, yeah, we're just going to spray malaria at everyone. No, but one of the things that... <laughs> My wife calls that malaria weekend right now. I was talking way. to nice. I was talking to Michael Harley from Audio Fictions and Aloha Mora, and he made a really... We were talking about the purpose of an adaptation when an adaptation owes its originating material and blah, 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 the things you talk about when you're analyzing Harry Potter, like we're gonna. And uh, he said, there are some... there are when we were, we were talking about like pristine examples of adaptation and he's like, no one ever mentions it, but Holes was a really stellar adaptation of a, of a book that would not be easy to adapt. Right. Anyway, Holes just came up recently in my life and I was reminded of, yeah, that was a really solid, really solid movie. Despite some broad choices made by Mr. Winkler. Otherwise, it's a really great, yeah. a really Sigourney, great film. Sigourney's pretty good in that too as well. And there's, Excuse there's a, me? There's Harry Winkler is a saint. <laughs> a little saint. With a yellow jacket. Nice little soft, like knit yellow jacket. It's crazy how far he's come from the Fonz. Like now he seems really like grandpa-ish. You know, Holes is one of those things where obviously I was an, I was an adult when that I think when that book came out and also when that movie came out, but, um, and that's my biggest fear is that, yeah, I think the book came out in 2000 and the movie 2003, something like that. Yeah. My, my biggest fear is that there's going to be some awesome stuff coming out now 
that I'm not going to be able to like, like there's just so much coming out now that my son, like son's going to be into like my little pony, like, which is now has a very strong male fan base these days. And it's like, do I have to start watching this now? And I, and I guess I should, you know, that's kind of like, that's it's, to it's at least it's check it's it more out. watchable and, than most shows. Like that. I sure. really like friendship is magic. I'm not like on right. the internet talking about it. Like I'm not, that's not a part of my personality. Right. I'm not going to advertise it. I'm not. Do you have a Tumblr? No. I barely have a Facebook Teague. <laughs> yeah, fan tumblers of stuff I don't think is, is up Chloe's alley. No. You know. Um I I'm I'm into Doctor Who and I like to pretend I'm the only one. Like that's right. it. Um <laughs> And my dad tried with Doctor Who. He tried to get me into Hey Doctor man, Who's it's I don't I it, like I was telling you earlier, it started off as a kid show. And I'm yeah. so fascinated by that. Like, yeah, no, all the history all the history was supposed to be like going back in time to teach kids about historical whatever and then all the future ones were supposed to be about technology and then they're like wait we have scarves and bubble wrap and monsters laser guns yeah Yeah. and i get we need to i'm happy about what it turned into but i think it could have been cool the other way too yeah we need to bring this into land because eddie's got to run here in a second but like the last sort of phase of this in terms of things to show kids and things that we liked what about like educational shows like i'm I'm really huge on Bill Nye the Science Guy, the mm-hmm. show. Yeah, I think they did an excellent job with that as a show. Yeah. I think Bill did a great job, uh, and I think he's done a great job since. But the, the show itself is wonderful kids programming. Totally. And a little bit older, I think MythBusters would actually go in that camp too. They, MythBusters is good now. They've always like, said straight up, like for, for, for like a little like a, I mean like someone five, old, yeah. But yeah. They, they've always said. I mean, Adam's been repeatedly he has said that it, we never set out to make an educational show. We just have to use the scientific method to tell the story, and that's right. the best way to do it. And ultimately, you learn something that's great. But MythBusters would also go in that camp. And what's weird is I don't cook yeah. at all. I have no interest in cooking. Maybe I will one day. I'm interested in it sort of uh, conceptually, like if understanding how ingredients work and combine. If I understood that, I would be interested in cooking. But since I don't yet, uh, I have no interest in it really at all. I can make really good ice. I put water in the freezer. I'm a fan of your ice. Eventually, yeah. it, eventually it, it gets cold. And I've I, consumed many of your cubes. I like to put that in drinks and stuff. Yeah, no, it's, no. that's fair. But uh, Good Eats, yeah. the Food Network show, Elton Brown's show, Good Eats, is so much fun to watch. He's just a good explainer. And like what, he's he's a very good explainer. And like a sort of a backdoor perk is that like all of those full episodes are on YouTube. But you know, I always thought that show was a wonderful model for like as an educational show. Right. Like food, how to cook shows, cooking shows tend to follow their own template and I think Alton was the first guy in a while to go this is supposed to be educational shows you guys we're, we're, the, the template drifted but we're supposed to teach people how this works right and he came at it with, with science instead of with like you know old lore and bakery cookbooks and stuff like that he's like okay well here is what baking soda does well, yeah also I think like the the future of educational programming is YouTube with like yes. you know SciShow and Crash Sci-Show, Course SciShow Crash Heart. Course uh, Vsauce, minute, minute physics, smart every day. And Those like guys, I Veritasium. personally, I had really, really crappy OCHEM teachers. Mm-hmm. I went on YouTube and I looked that stuff up, and I found what you really, really good tutorials. I'm like, oh, I have access to the best, and you can, you know, audition teachers, and some of them ask for. But like that's the logical progression. If you have a shitty teacher, you can go online and find that concept explained, you know, for STEM stuff, not necessarily like I'm sure there's I I have no idea how it works for the more liberal arts. But like for calculus, I had great calculus teachers, but I've refreshed on, you know, on YouTube for calculus, for chemistry, for all that physics, all that shit. You can go on and find highly rated YouTube videos and it's beautiful. 
it's it's awesome yeah and it's it's um especially with the stem stuff like i remember sesame street about four or five years ago rededicating a lot of stuff to stem so if you watch a lot of the sesame street interstitials now it's murray building uh you know he's given some sticks and some tires you got to make the fastest car going down a hill you know the stuff awesome. yeah there's a lot of sesame street i give a lot of props to it's very stem heavy these days uh i th- you know growing up as a kid like for me a lot of, a lot of what fascinated me was i mean i watched mutual of omaha's wild kingdom quite a bit but um i was also big into uh great chefs of the east and of the west uh on pbs there was a cooking show an old guy that was on right after sesame street when i was growing up uh, I have no idea, but well, like, I, mean, I watched that shit. Like, I mean, I, the only one I remember I after Sesame Street was um, uh, well, there's Mr. Wizard on Nickelodeon. That was like my big one. That oh was yeah, hu- I was huge in Mr. Wizard, and he was he was alive for a really long time. The other one, um, uh, Great Chefs of the East is great, uh, but that was a great show then. Now, Anthony Bourdain produced a show called uh, The Mind of a Chef with uh, David Chang. David Chang is the owner of the Momofuku. Um, uh, restaurant train in New York. Basically, he it's like new American cuisine that's like multicultural uh, with a little bit of gastro, um, uh, not gastrochemistry, but uh, molecular gastronomy mm-hmm. mixed in along with uh, just comfort food and just and low culture cuisine, but that's surprisingly sophisticated. And that whole show talks about you know, you, you get from his perspective sort of how he comes about his recipes. And through that you get glimpses. There's like science moments with Harold McGee where he breaks down. Okay. The ramen noodle stays consistent because of alkalines, which you can kind of get from this. Uh, and also there's a whole episode on rot and how controlling rot is like integral to cooking. And so they'll look at like dry aged beef and they'll look at like, um, uh, you know, uh, Benito Flakes is also called Katsuobushi. It's like, yeah. it's, it's rotted fish. It's rotted mm-hmm. smoked fish. And that's like the base for all Japanese cuisine. So they use, they use that as a way to explore a lot of really cool science stuff. And I think, and there's nothing in that that I don't think would be, I don't think there's a, a basement on how like young you can show that to somebody. Oh, so no. Things like that. I think, and I think a lot of the best kids shows are sort of unintentional and backdoor. Like they, yeah. they just happen to be well, great for kids. Cooking you know? is one of the great, you know, applied chemistry lessons that you can teach someone. Right. It's great. You, you, you do this thing, you get something you can eat. It's perfect. It's right. like, you know, a chem lab, but you, instead of getting like this little vial of something you can test, like, Hey, I made wintergreen fl- flavoring, which is a thing you do. Right. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> By you, combining really harsh chemicals. Yeah, that's yeah. not that's not a real flavor, guys. Um, <laughs> you you know, I've made cupcakes. Yeah, exactly. Hooray! Lesson learned. Exactly. I mean, like people people forget like dry aged beef. Uh, if you bought a steak in the '60s, chances are it was dried aged, which means it's controlled rot. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's there's the the bone is green for a reason. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, like there's now they do it and they're like we're just letting the the water come out to concentrate. No, you're rotting that shit. Yeah, That's- exactly. There's a whole episode of Mine and the Chef where basically David Chang innovated a new kind of bushi made from pork and the old, the old reason is that you could do it from fish because fish doesn't really spoil and you get a lot of bacteria and, and pork and red meat, but he straight up enlisted a couple scientists from Harvard to come up with a way to do a controlled bacteria on pork. And it's all animated and there's like a lot of cool mm-hmm. things that they do that. I'm like, and I was watching it. I'm like, I could watch this with gray right now. Like, and, and he'd be at least engaged by the visuals, if not having the effing clue about what's going on. And I guess that's where it just leads me back to my overall kind of thesis for this is like, um, don't be afraid. It's too old. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like ever, like don't ever be afraid that it's too old. He's going to see something regardless. He or she is going to see something regardless. 
take charge, initiate. Yeah, take and then minute. you can have the conversation. You yeah. can control the environment. You make sure that they're comfortable and understand. Yeah, Because, yeah. you know, seeing something you don't understand as a kid is probably one of the more, like, traumatizing. <laughs> it's probably one of the more potentially traumatizing things. Right. Like, you, I don't understand this, so my really flexible and imaginative child brain is going to make this awful. Right. So right. you're saying pre-wire that with like well, no, something that's been that's been made to be non-traumatic that teaches that and kind of pro- it, it kind of gives them the ability to, to diffuse anything that might be upsetting. Yeah. Not just upsetting, but just like and, and beyond upsetting. Well, just like, like kids should be upset at some point. Like yeah. that's part of life. I'm not saying, you know, protect them at all costs. No, yeah. But, certainly not. But like, you know, by upsetting I mean like to an unor- like to an inordinate degree where it's just they misunderstood and they had confirmation bias and then this whole thing became a nightmare. Right. Right. Uh, there's a, a, a famous story my mom likes to tell where uh, we were ha- I was six years old. We were living in Santa Rosa. They were having friends over in the living room. I had a, I was watching TV in my mom's bedroom because they were they were entertaining in the front room. And I landed on one of those Sally Struthers, you know, uh, you know, aid to Africa for a nickel a day. You can do this. Mm-hmm. And at, at five or six years old, I called up trying to give him my allowance. And, <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so what's strange is that my voice is a little deep now. Back then it was really, really high. Mm-hmm. And so I could pass for an adult woman really well over the phone. So I made it all the way to the credit card stage before my age came up. Oh. And so. And so like, well, we need a credit card or, you know, something. I'm like, okay, hold on. And I went to my mom to get the credit card number. And I'm like, just take it out of my allowance. You know, just, uh-huh. you know, I I'd worked out a reimbursement scheme. Uh, and uh, so then my mom was like, my mom firstly got on the phone and then was like, how did you not know that you were speaking to a six-year-old child? Like, how did you, <laughs> how, like she was pissed at the operator. And so it got to the point. And then I was upset and crying by this point because it wasn't going to happen. And so she had to sit me down and like, and just, that's what I'm saying. It was an infomercial. Yeah. An infomercial yeah. wrecked me and like oh yeah <laughs> you know what i mean so it's like the um your kids are going to learn lessons one way or the other from whatever they yeah. watch and uh you know just it, and that's why it's like i i found myself revisiting a lot of this stuff like fraggle rock and all this other crap just because i wanted to see you know what how much i remembered versus sort of like you know what power it still sort of had i guess mm-hmm. like that i don't know it's just that, that it's just fascinating to me re- revisiting everything now through that lens yeah and so. my whole thing is uh, that's the thing that's kept coming up i've been talking to all these muggle net folks for the stream and everyone has you know kind of nitpicks about the potter movies here or there or everywhere depending on who i was talking to <laughs> but i was more like i'm super psyched that a the books certainly the books but b this movie franchise exists just as a thing that I, it's it's a it's an existing block of stuff now. Like we all think of it as being this sort of liquid thing that's still always changing, and, and there's going to be new Harry Potters, and, and it's in our head as new thing. But it's not new anymore. It's done. It is what it is. It's a new Star Wars or indie series. It's a new thing that kids just can have and watch and watch and watch and watch and watch, and it's really good stuff. It's a really yeah. good story, and it's a lot of it. It's twenty yes. hours of stuff that you can just give to a kid and say, "Have fun. I'll see you tomorrow." Yeah. I mean, that's that's a good list of stuff to do. And it makes for a 24-hour stream where we're going to make a lot of a lot of money for the malaria folks and send a lot of nets to people who need them. And that's something that you should participate in, too. I'm not trying to put... I'm, I'm not asking. We're I'm saying. Just saying. No, we oh, are saying. We're saying. We're saying now. We're, saying we're beyond it. asking. We're saying it. We're uh, commanding. Again, uh, for... Be like pe- six-year-old Eddie. <laughs> see. <laughs> see the dying children with flies on their faces the and no. Exactly. An and, and then go to your mom going, Mom, can I please go to my no. house? <laughs> <laughs> 
For who? For these friends in my head. No, but it's going to be cool. People in the future, go listen to those Harry Potter commentaries. We did them all in one day. Uh, people right crazy. now. And I'm sure you can still buy malaria nets oh, in yeah. the future. That's yeah. the thing you against can still Against Malaria do. Foundation is probably still out there. And if you're it's li- probably still against Malaria. If you're listening to the future, Brian and I still are talking. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Eddie's for, still somewhere cooking. For the people <laughs> who uh, live in the, in the present with us right now, that's next weekend, you guys. That's December 7th and December 8th, 2013. Go to com slash Potter. Please, for the love of God, please tell your friends about it. Like the hard part about these things is getting the word out. And that's the, that's the big key to it is just, you know, link our YouTube video somewhere or, or something, please. Uh, it would mean quite a bit. And also it would literally probably result in people's lives being longer. So that's good too. And if uh, you're in the future, yay, you did it. We, thank you. Hooray. Thank you for that. You yeah. know who you are. This is like NPR. Yeah, exactly. Especially you, Roger. Yes. <laughs> Roger did great. Roger is so good. Yeah. I'm talking to you. Yeah, no, I can hear you through your speakers. Through the future. No, I know. It's crazy, right? Sorry. I'm, uh, somewhere there is a Roger who's being like, the fuck is happening? <laughs> anyway. I know how statistics work. Yeah. You in the green shirt. Yes. Exactly. So. As, as, as Joel Hodson used to say, sometimes we'll put a joke in that we know three people in the <laughs> United States will get. Everyone else will just forget that that joke ever happened and move on and they're watching. But three people will be like, do they live on my block that they made that <laughs> right. joke just now? Right. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, you and I know what's up, Roger. This has been the intermission. You can always find more episodes at friendsinyourhead.com. Go to the forum, subscribe. It's a wonderful community of people and it's growing every single week. Subscribe to iTunes. You get a brand new episode every single week. And uh, if you're in the present, you, next week, you want to come out and see the Potter Malariathon thing that we're doing with MuggleNet.com. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Eddie's going to make food. Oh, God. It's going to be great. And, and Dorkman, like, if it's anything like Lord of the Rings, he'll just like buy cookies and be like, these are orc circles. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. Uh... Twitter.com slash friends in your head. Facebook.com slash friends in your head. Friends in your head at gmail.com. Buy our shirts. Give us money. PayPal button. Not asking, just saying. Holden Hill designed and maintained the website. And until next week, my name is T. Christie. Chloe Z. Eddie D. Eddie D. And this has been The Intermission. Thank you very much for listening. Good night. Good night. Eddie D. and the boys. Seriously, watch the Sandlot again. It's great. Friendsinyourhead.com. <laughs>